0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School,
1: this is the
0: Real Estate Hour on Business Radio,
1: powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, Bob Lane.
0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Real Estate Hour here on Sirius XM Channel 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host Bob Lane. I'm an adjunct professor teaching real estate law and transactions here at the Wharton School by night, and my day job is for 40 years a commercial practicing, a practicing commercial real estate lawyer as a partner with the law firm Stevenson Lee, based here in Philadelphia, but a practice from coast to coast. Uh, we're live at noon Eastern every Friday, followed by Behind the Markets at 1 p.m. Eastern. As always, you can access past shows via our on-demand feature. If you're listening between 12 noon and 1 p.m. Eastern on Friday, May 18th, that's when we're live, producing uh, today here in the studio, so please call with your live questions. Uh, I guess they could be dead questions, too, but they'll be on the radio. So please call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. If you're listening at any other day or time, please email your questions and comments to me at businessradio.com. At SiriusXM.com, I'll be happy to address them on my next show. So again, if you have a question, you want to join our conversation today, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Email business radio at SiriusXM.com, And if you're not otherwise distracted on Twitter, you may follow us at bizradio111. My guest today is a very uh, exciting young entrepreneur, Alex Dubay. Alex was the founder and CEO of Door, and you're going to hear what that means. Um, it's an integrated real estate platform that is driving disruption in the brokerage, mortgage, and other t- real estate and title markets. Uh, heavily, heavily uh, established, entrenched, uh, saturated marketplace, as you've heard me speak about for uh, many, uh, many weeks and months with lots of different kinds of guests in the. Uh, purchase and sales space, the mortgage finance space, title space, space, and many other op- opportunities and, and, uh, and sectors. Alex and Dorr, they're based in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, but he is going to tell us about a business that is disrupting the standard way of doing things. So I want to welcome formally uh, Alex. You're on the phone with us today. Alex, are you there?
2: I am good morning thanks for having me
0: oh good morning um it's a pleasure to have you uh, so welcome uh, let me just remind our, our guests and uh, listeners rather if you want to join our conversation you may call us at one eight four four Wharton one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six and we're live on may eighteenth and we'll listen to your questions if you want to join us so Alex um, I just gave a a little teaser about your business, Um, but uh, you really have explained it to to me very, very well. Can you talk a little bit about your background and how you started this up?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I I grew up here in in Dallas, Texas. I went to Harvard for college, came back here after, and uh, I was the director of finance. Uh, I worked in kind of financial areas in uh, private equity-backed companies here in Dallas, Uh, one of which owned endurance events around the country. I ran an online marketing firm for a little while, bought and sold some apartment complexes. Uh, But Door really started with a a very personal experience uh, that my my mom went through, actually. And it's not completely alien to to many people, I think, around the country. But uh, she owned a home here in Dallas, and she'd owned it for 20 years. And when she went to sell it, Uh, She paid 6% commission, uh, which for her was uh, a little over $53,000, a lot of money. And uh, she didn't get a thank you note or a bottle of wine or anything afterwards. And uh, what it really drove home for me was that the cost people have to pay these days is so out of whack with the value received. uh, Because really the primary reason is 95% of people now look online when they're looking to buy a home. A majority of people buy a home that they find on their own. And yet, for whatever reason, uh, in the U.S. and Canada, uh, we're the only two Western First World countries where you have to pay 6% of the the gross transaction fee uh, cost of the house uh, to a real estate agent. And I just thought that was insane. And, and so that was the, the starting point for door.
0: So that, that was, that's a great insight. And uh, what, one of the things that, um, and, you know, it's a ins- great insight for starting this business is the disproportionate cost to the uh, to the home seller. Uh, for the service that they get. Uh, if you look at it from the broker's standpoint, and I, in, in my 40 years of commercial real estate practice, uh, look, you know, see it from all points of view, um, from the economics of the broker, they get paid nothing for deals that don't close, as you know, and as most people know. So if they have a listing on, on a... Uh, on a house, or if they're representing a buyer and they're spending weeks and weeks and months perhaps trying to sell a house or get a buyer to buy a house, and for whatever reason, they they're, they lose that listing, the house never sells, or the buyer they're working with goes somewhere else and never buys something. They spent a lot of time with no commission because they're working on commission, on it's contingent on a deal going through. So from their economics, they have to recoup, for those that do go through, they have to recoup that... Um, in in those few sales that do go through. Now you gave me some interesting statistics that helps to address both sides of that, as I recall, in terms of how many deals a typical broker closes in a year versus how many of your people do.
2: That's right. Yeah. So the the way Door started uh, was was as a technology enabled residential real estate brokerage. So, Door charges a flat $5,000 at close, uh, regardless of the price of the home. So, that means you're saving a lot of money if you buy, or excuse me, if you sell a home with us. You you do have to pay 3% commission to a third-party agent in all likelihood, but you're just paying Door $5,000. On the flip side, if you're buying a home with us, uh, we split our commission with you. So, we're paid commission, generally speaking, 3%. We split that commission with you and then give you back a check at close. Uh, but to your point, uh, and you're exactly right. The the broker is generally uh, paying costs up front, but only get paid at getting paid uh, on, uh, at the end of the transaction. Uh, the average real estate agent in the U.S. is an independent contractor who does four to five transactions a year, a year, and. In my view, I don't think it's a great job, because it's really lumpy income, uh, it's it's unpredictable, you don't have health insurance, you don't have benefits, that sort of thing. But at Door, uh, we have a very different model. Our real estate agents, they're licensed, uh, so we're Texas real estate agents, we're realtors, members of the NAR, uh, but they're employees, so they have uh, the vast majority of their compensation from salary, they have health insurance, et cetera. Uh, but the big difference is uh, we leverage technology to enable them to do a far greater volume of transactions. So the average real estate agent does four to five transactions a year. Ours are doing over 60 a year, 60 over 60 a year. Well, that, that is
0: such a key statistic, and it's really what makes your business model successful. Because if you can only do the typical several a year, you've, you've got to make a lot more money than you are if you're doing 10 times that amount.
2: You're exactly right. And and I think a key point, though, is we're not trying to deliver a cost-saving service that also delivers a bad experience. Quite the opposite. We want you to come work with Door and have the best real estate estate transaction of your life. And so, we focus very uh, keenly on client satisfaction. And, and the metric we use internally is our net promoter score, so the measurement of the percentage of the clients of the business that will willingly promote the business. And we have an industry-leading NPS net promoter score. Last year, ours was 74. First quarter of this year, it was actually close to 90. So, again, the idea is not to just save you a few bucks and and give you a bad experience. This tends to be the biggest asset in someone's life, the home. Uh, So, we save our clients an average of $12,000 each and also deliver a better outcome, a better experience, by far, than what is seen in the traditional real estate world.
0: That, that, that's – we're going to really drill down. Um, you know, number one, is, as you know, Alex, and my listeners know, uh, I, I challenge for the sake of uh, understanding. So I'm going to challenge a few of your assumptions and, yeah. and how it works and the logistics. Uh, but let me ask you a question because it's going to segue into – I'm going to take a caller who may not be on point, but I want to just know. – we've never talked about this. But do you do commercial as well as residential? Or is this substantially all residential?
2: Pretty just residential. We, we don't do anything above four units. Yeah,
0: Well, um, this, uh, the question that we have from Al in New York has to do with capital gains. And, of course, capital gains does apply to uh, personal homes as well as to uh, commercial investments. So it may be something that will uh, you know, if you know something about, you can uh, weigh in on. If you don't, it uh, may be helpful to you. So, Al, let me welcome you to the Real Estate Hour. Um, thanks for calling. How can we help you?
1: Oh, yes, thank you. Uh, I have a private, uh, one-family home that my wife and I own that we rent out. We've owned for about nineteen years. My cost basis is around a hundred thousand in the piece right now, and conservatively, the value would be about four twenty-five today. Uh, we decided to sell the property, and we're considering actually letting our son buy it at a little bit of a discount, maybe fifty thousand under. What we feel we probably ought to get. So, if we gave it to him for 375, there's a 50 thousand dollar gap. I'm wondering how the government may be, view me not paying or what I have to pay uh, that additional 50, the gains that I, you know, the long-term gains on that portion, even though I didn't get paid for it.
0: Well, let me see if I uh, understand the arithmetic. So, you, your cost basis is 100 thousand. Um and uh you think it's worth four twenty five and i i use those words specifically. you think it's worth four twenty five but you 're going to sell it to your son for fifty thousand dollar discount that's three seventy five do I have the numbers right Yes
1: you do
0: okay so you're you're concerned about whether the fact that you're selling it for less than it's worth. Uh, and you're going to presumably pay the capital gains tax on your on your sale price, that you're selling it for less than it's worth, that the IRS may uh, feel that they're getting cheated because you're not selling it for the full value. Am I understanding you correctly?
1: Yeah, because I'd be selling it to a family member, my son, who would fund it himself and all that. He has his own monies. Uh, I'm wondering if they wouldn't possibly look at that as kind of like a shifty move.
0: Well, um, n- number one, um, what your what your property is worth is uh, really uh, an amorphous number. There's there's no uh, absolute science that you can look up and say this property is worth X dollars. And in fact, I'd I'd love to get in a couple of minutes Alex's view on how they evaluate market prices because that could be that could be relevant here. But um, you you think it's worth four twenty five? Now you're renting it out. I don't know whether you've capitalized the net income, and that's how you've arrived at your assessment with some arbit- – not arbitrary, but some assumed cap rate. Uh, that could be 5 percent. It could be 7 percent. It could be what, you know, whatever. Appraisers argue over what cap rates for capitalizing rental income to get the value. You could be looking at comparable properties because it's a single-family residence, I think you said, and while you're renting it out – Uh, It may be very similar to homes that are just sold as homes, whether they're rented or not. Um, And those are really the two most relevant ways of looking at the valuation. And appraisers argue about that. And the most realistic way is where brokers and people like Alex and his people will come in and say, well, we've sold those kind of properties recently. And they're actually going for in this market today as opposed to six months ago or what might happen six months from now for this range, so uh, I would say that a ten percent range, more or less, so from four twenty five fifty thousand dollars, a little more than ten percent swing, is nothing that I can imagine the IRS coming in and saying we think you undersold this and therefore you underpaid your taxes. I've never heard of something like that, unless it's something extraordinary with a multi-multi-multi-million-dollar property that's publicly known and is clearly being sold for more or less than its value, and there's some explanation. Um, so, uh, is that addressing your, 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 your question?
1: Well, actually, I, I don't... It's sort of, but not fully. Okay. I do know the value, because I happen to be also a real estate agent salesperson. I'm fully aware of the value, and it's probably closer to $450. i am being extremely conservative here, because it's in my benefit to be so So uh, I know the value. I'm right on money about the value. So I'm going to gap it fifty thousand, and I I know it's more potatoes to the government. But I didn't even know if they could go after a piece like that to say, hey, no, 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 you chose to give your son a discount. Yeah, on I understand. That property. That, yeah,
0: it's 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 it's, so in, that, it's inconceivable that they would. They, they, there's so many jillions and jillions of of properties in the in the five and six and even seven figure range. They don't have the uh, the the staffing that they never would go after to say did you undersell it for fifteen percent and pay less on taxes. Now, if you if you were actually to sell it to uh, to your son for four fifty and he were to uh, give you $75,000 outside of closing, uh, so you're paying less in transfer tax. uh, You're in New York. If the property's in New York, I don't know what the transfer taxes are there. If you're paying less in other taxes and you're evading taxes by, and if that were discovered by an audit or otherwise, you'd be in trouble. But if it's an arm's length sale and you're just selling it for less to somebody you want to sell it for less to, uh, in in my view... um, that That's not a problem. Now, let me just take this opportunity. Um, and I'm going to ask Alex if he has any uh, thoughts on this. But, uh, Al, I'm a, I'm a commercial real estate lawyer. I didn't have the opportunity in this show yet to say what I always say is that I never give out legal advice that people should rely on over the radio. I don't know the whole situation. Um, And I don't know every state's law. New York could be different. We're talking about federal income tax, uh, not state tax. So there may be issues there. So um, I give uh, my best thoughts for guidance, uh, but I would always urge you to consult your local counsel, your actual counsel, for any advice you're going to rely on in structuring that transaction. Uh, That being said, uh, Alex, do you have any thoughts on, on, you know, in in your practice, how how that would be uh, reported?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. My and my, uh, I'm obviously not a an accountant or a lawyer, but the the first, the the bigger concern outside of the kind of phantom capital gains would actually be a gift tax to the the children. You know, because if you're you're receiving something in value, the the imputed value between 375 and and 450 or whatever it might be. But again, I I think you're right. It's it's unlikely that would be discovered, Uh, but. Uh, it would, I would think it'd be a gift tax to the children because they're they're getting something for nothing. But the other piece, and, and this is something we talk with people about a lot, is I'm a big proponent that your your lifestyle, your life, should drive the the home purchase and sale decision. You shouldn't let the the thesis of it as an investment do so. Uh, and what I mean in this particular situation is. Uh, I, I think, and, and I don't know the, I don't know his financial situation whatsoever. But uh, in this situation, uh, I would urge a client to think first and foremost about their own financial health. Because uh, if you're if you're hurting your your retirement, if you're hurting your ability to be solvent as, as you're uh, uh, aging, that's probably a bigger burden on your family than giving your your kid fifty or seventy five thousand dollars right now. Uh, and that, that could always be transferred, albeit with taxes later on in life. But my bias is always towards uh, making sure that that the homeowner or the home buyer is making a decision that's really prudent for their own life uh, because that that is uh, of utmost concern in my mind.
0: But I, th- I, th- I think Alex has really put his finger on uh, I didn't get to it you know in terms of the, the gift taxes. I think that you're not uh, defrauding or deceiving uh, the Government by selling it for less than its worth—that's totally within your rights to do that. It could at most be looked at that the extra equity or value is a gift um, that you're you're making, uh, and and you're not filing a gift tax return if you want it to be st- strictly uh, uh, you know b- you know by bi- technical about that. But even that is not clear to me, and I don't know what your your personal counsel would say, Al, uh, because. Um, Totally arm's length. You could sell it to anybody and say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to sell this property to this person for less than it's worth because I want to sell it to them. And in fact, I bought a a property myself, um, an historic property, which I pledged to the sellers that I was going to preserve. Uh, and instead of putting it out for bid to developers who are going to tear it down, uh, they sold it to me for less because they wanted to see it preserved. And, and that explanation never gets explained to the IRS or to anybody. I mean, I guess if they came and audited, that explanation would be made. Um, but uh, I've never heard of that happen.
2: Well, I think that's a good point, too. I think it's uh, under 500000 if I'm not mistaken, where you don't even have to issue the um, – uh, tax documentation to the IRS because the transaction is small. So to your earlier point, that, that would probably be under the radar entirely. Al, is that helpful? Uh,
1: yeah, certainly. I feel more yeah. confident about doing that if he so chooses to purchase the property.
0: Yeah, and take Alex's advice to heart about, you know, making sure both yours and your son's uh, financial interests are uh, are being being attended to. Thanks so much for the call. That was terrific. Uh, Al, thanks for calling. And again, listeners, if you want to join our conversation or have a question, we're taking your calls at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I'm going to take this opportunity to welcome any new listeners. You're listening to the Real Estate Hour on Sirius XM a Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on channel one eleven. I'm your host, Bob Lane, a commercial real estate lawyer and an adjunct professor teaching real estate law here at the uh, University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. And we're uh, talking to Alex Dubay, the founder and CEO of Door, an integrated real estate platform that is disrupting the brokerage, mortgage, and title market. So we've just really started talking to uh, Alex, and uh, hopefully he'll stay with us for most of the hour. Um, Alex, we, you had basically summarized your background um, before uh, we took uh, Al's call and uh, how you started DOR and basically what it what it did. but um, And so it's different than the traditional brokerage, just for any new listeners, uh, just to summarize quickly, in that you just charge a flat fee. It's a fraction of what the 6% or whatever the commission rate would usually be, but you're handling higher volume with better service is what you're, uh, you're telling us uh, than the traditional broker who can only handle a handful of deals a year and so therefore has to charge every seller uh, really, to uh, compensate them uh, for all the other deals that don't go through, and how you found that wasn't really fair
2: that's right, yeah uh, that's absolutely right
0: so so drilling down on the on the logistics um how how does it work so i I have a home, and i'm thinking about you know listing it with the the broker who's got the signs up around my neighborhood. Um, and uh, you want them to contact you now. Right now, you're in Texas. You're all over in many places in Texas, and you're expanding nationally. And this is a model that I think anybody listening from anywhere in the country would be interested in, uh, as because I think there are probably others like you, but you're you're growing. Uh, how how do you get them? How, how do you how do you? Uh,
2: sure. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll answer that. I think best with with kind of a compare and contrast between us and the the traditional real estate world. It's frequently forgotten, I think, that the the traditional independent contractor real estate agent is ultimately a commissioned salesperson. They make money off of the transaction uh, in accordance with the the, 3% generally of the transaction price. They're a commissioned salesperson and they spend 90% of their time uh, out trying to get leads, trying to get the next deal. And uh, the majority of people. Uh, about two-thirds of people use a friend or family member who just happens to be a real estate agent when they buy or sell a home. So, the, the normal thing to do is, you know, everyone knows a real estate agent, you pick one of those real estate agents, uh, and they're probably doing four or five deals a year. Uh, contrast that with what we do at DOOR. It's a very different setup. Uh, it's an entirely different job that our real estate agents perform, because uh, 100% of our real estate agents' time is dedicated towards just client service and the transaction, whether it's buying or selling a home. So, 90% of the time of the traditional agent is spent ginning up leads. 100% of our agents' time is spent just on client service and and transacting. And so, to your question, what that means is two things. One, we've segmented the work process. So, our our agents don't have to spend time uh, converting leads. We have an entire team dedicated to just educating people about door, uh, converting them to, to door clients, uh, getting them to the appropriate real estate agent. Uh, but then, our marketing is all centralized. Door is marketing for clients. We do not expect our agents to market to any of their friend or family networks as they traditionally do uh, at, a, at an old-fashioned real estate brokerage. So, uh, it, it's a very different setup. Uh, but one that we think delivers better client satisfaction ultimately because uh, everyone's had the story where you call your agent and they can't call you back because they're out on showings or they're out trying to get the next deal. Uh, That doesn't happen at door because our agents are just uh, focusing on uh, ensuring that client service is good.
0: Yeah, and I can, as a real estate lawyer, and although I'm a commercial real estate, I certainly uh, lawyer for my my career. I certainly have handled uh, a lot of single family residential matters over the my whole career for uh, special clients and friends and uh, uh, various other purposes. Uh, And and whenever I'm dealing with a residential broker, it's exactly what you've described. Uh, It's really that person. Uh, while they may have a uh, you know Century Twenty One or Remax or Berkshire Hathaway or uh, you know CB uh, Caldwell Bank or whatever uh, flag. It's they're usually independent contractors, as you had said earlier, who uh, really they're their own business. And if they're in the middle of showings or, or closings or other things, it's really hard to reach them. You've got a uh, an infrastructure is really what you've described.
2: That's right. That's exactly right.
0: So. Um, well, how do, how do you um, sign them up with a, tr- a traditional listing agreement for the sellers um, or is it do they pay their, their, their flat fee up front? Is it conditioned no, on all, the closing?
2: All, all, all the fee is paid at close. That's right. And on the listing side, we use an exclusive right to sell listing agreement. On the buy side, it's an exclusive buyer representation agreement. And uh, we actually use standard forms that are promulgated by the Texas Association of Realtors for those two agreements. Yeah,
0: and I know if you were in Pennsylvania, some of the other states that I'm familiar with, you'd have standard forms um, as well. And as uh, you you and I have talked about in the past, every state has different licensing laws, different commission laws and rules. Um, As you uh, expand into other markets, uh, how are you going to keep your consistency? So meaning if you're online, um, are you going to have to offer different deals in different states?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and, and something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, we are, we're operating now in Dallas-Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, and Houston, so all four big cities in Texas. And we're fortunate in that there are four of the top 12 cities in the country right here in Texas, all governed by the same laws. Uh, as we look to national expansion next year, uh, there, there certainly are other regulations. Now, the, the process is largely the same. Uh, there are There are nuances. Uh, state to state, uh, but that that is something that, and at least in our experience, really comes down to uh, ensuring that the policies and procedures are in place to make sure that uh, each new market we go into, uh, we're, we're abiding by the law. We're doing things uh, as they need to be done in those local areas. Um, but the, I think the good news is, their transactions are fairly similar state to state uh, in in the U.S.
0: So. Uh, With the buyers, Uh, so you have a standard listing agreement with the seller, exclusive right to sell, and uh, with the buyers, uh, does the buyer pay your commission or the seller when you go to closing?
2: So I I think that's a really interesting question because uh, traditionally, uh, real estate agents claim that uh, you can use my services as a buyer's agent and you don't have to pay me any commission. In fact, there was a Federal Trade Commission carve-out specifically for buyers real estate agents to say that. And I think that's completely false. I I don't think that's true. the, the commission is taken out of the proceeds from the sale. So 6% commission, 5% commission, whatever it is, is taken out of the proceeds from the sale. Uh, traditionally, people say it's the seller-paying commission, but reality is that the purchase price is 6% higher due to that commission. And, and it is literally the buyer's money. If the buyer's purchasing a home, it is their money going to fund that transaction. So uh, in, in my view, I, I think buyer and seller are equally splitting the commission. I, I don't think it's... Uh, it's it's okay to say that the buyer doesn't pay commission. And, and so our model is we take in the commission that is offered uh, by the listing broker, and then we split that with our client so that we don't keep all that commission. We give them a check after close uh, refunding that commission.
0: Well, actually, that's a very interesting um Perspective on 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 the commission being paid, and um, we are going to drill down on that because uh, you know it's something you and I have talked about, and uh, I will tell you, I'm not sure I agree fully. Uh, with that analysis as to where the money is coming from and what the rights and duties are. And I know that that's something you think an awful lot about and how you run your business. And so we're going to take a quick break um, in a moment. And when we come back, listeners, we're really going to talk about, which will be, I think, relevant to virtually every one of our listeners, is the broker's duties to the buyer, to the seller, and and how that relates to who's paying the commission and, and why and how the law has really evolved dramatically all over the United States uh, over the last, uh, you know, 30, 30 or so so years. So please stay with us. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Alex Dubay, the founder and CEO of Door, an integrated real estate platform and the brokerage, mortgage, and title markets. And if you want to check them out, while we're on break, it's at uh, www.doorhomes.com. doorhomes.com. Uh, and if you want to join our conversation, we're live on May Friday, May 18th. So please call us at 1844 Wharton. That's 1-844-942-7866. I'm your host, Bob Lane. You're listening to Business Radio and Sirius XM 111. Please stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. <laughs> You're listening to The Real Estate Hour on Business
1: Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Bob Lane.
0: Welcome back, listeners. For those who have been waiting, thanks for staying with us. And for any new listeners who have joined us, welcome. You're listening to the Real Estate Hour here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Bob Lane. I'm an adjunct professor teaching real estate law and transactions here at the Wharton School by night. And my day job is I'm a practicing commercial real estate lawyer as a partner at the law firm of Stevenson Lee. Our guest today is Alex Dubay, a young and very uh, successful and, and uh, very challenging uh, entrepreneur who's the founder and CEO of Door. Uh, Door is an integrated real estate platform that is driving disruption in the real estate. Markets, Brokerage, market, title, uh, you name it. Uh, We've been talking for the last half hour about uh, how he started the business and how it's different than the traditional brokerage markets. And we're going to drill down on that and talk a little bit about the duties that uh, brokers have and how the way he practices may affect the way uh, normal customs are. But first, if you want to join our conversation, please call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. We're live in the studio on Friday, May 18th. So if you call, you'll get your questions addressed today. If you're listening at any other time uh, or, or date... Please email your questions at businessradio at com, and I'll be happy to address them on my next show or, or by email. And, of course, you can follow us at Twitter on Twitter at bizradio111. So welcome back, Alex. Thank you for staying with me. Yeah. It's been uh, – uh, I'm loving hearing about this, uh, um, the, the, the program that you've built. Um, for our listeners, uh, the, the typical real estate broker uh, handles a handful of transactions a year and charges 6% commission, which can be many tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for the same service that uh, really could maybe be bought by a fee for for much less. So Alex has an idea, which I'll ask you to summarize again for any new listeners. Uh, which you've put into practice all over the state of Texas.
2: That's right. Yeah, we adore uh, real estate charges a flat $5,000 at close, regardless of the price of the home. So that means when you're selling a home with us, we stage it. We do a 3D model, professional photographs, yard sign, lockbox. You have a dedicated agent uh, who is one of our employees Uh, And, again, you just pay us $5,000 at close. You do need to offer 3% to a cooperating agent. Uh, If you're buying a home with us, uh, we split our commission with you. So we, door gets paid uh, commission, and we split that with you so that we uh, write you a check after close, uh, and you save thousands of dollars with us.
0: Now, now you just mentioned uh, something, which is – Endemic in the market, it's standard is that the cooperating broker expects to get half of a six percent commission. So if That's you're right. dealing with a uh, five hundred thousand um, uh, dollar home, and six percent of that would be thirty thousand, the brokers, the cooperating is walking in expecting to get fifteen thousand.
2: Now you're That's only right. getting five. What what's the cooperating broker getting? So, if you're selling a home with us, uh, at close, you'd pay door $5,000. Uh, we do only work with people if they're willing to offer 3% commission uh, to buyer's agents. Because in, in Texas, at least, 3% is very standard on the, the buy side. And the unfortunate truth there, and this kind of leads into the fiduciary duty question that you and I uh, discussed the other day, uh, we've, we've seen this as a natural experiment. We had two listings in a gated subdivision very comparable listings, one of which was offering 2% commission to buyers agents, 2% buyers agent commission, BAC. The other was offering 3% BAC. And again, uh, 3% is is the market standard, 95-plus percent of listings in North Texas offer 3% BAC. What we saw with those two listings was that the one that offered 2% commission had about half the showings that the one that offered 3% did, up until the point at which, Uh, The seller agreed to up his commission offer to 3%, and then they went one for one. So, every time one got a showing, the other one got a showing. And remember, these were close listings, very comparable, in the same gated subdivision. So, uh, the the unfortunate truth is that, though though the monetary aspect of it shouldn't matter, given that a real estate agent has a fiduciary duty to their client, the reality is, uh, listings that offer lower than 3% BAC in Texas just don't get shown as much as they should.
1: Now that's a very
0: interesting observation. And before we drill down onto the the fiduciary duty, which is very complicated, and I'll give our listeners a little uh, background as to how it's evolved, and then we'll delve into how this gets complicated with the situation, um, is that um, what 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 your the example you just gave is I think unusual. It's not extraordinary, but it's it's not the norm where you had two very comparable homes in a subdivision that were, as I think, as you said, they were, you know, if not identical, they were really comparable. So the difference, if you're a, a broker showing your, your customer, your, your client, uh, the homes, one one's going to pay you 3%, one's going to pay you 2%, well, you know, they'll be just as happy with the 3%, perhaps, as the 2%. But rarely are homes all that much uh, the same. Um, it, it, wouldn't that be the case?
2: Totally, and I think that's why this fiduciary duty question is such a hard thing to, to ferret out at times, because uh, you could have two non-comparable homes that are close together, uh, one of which offers 2%, one of which offers 3% BAC. And it's very difficult, if not impossible, to say one should be getting more showings than the other, uh, just because right. all the there, there are too many variables in that equation, and so that's why I reference that specific example in the gated subdivision because it is a gated subdivision, only a couple minute drive between the two listings, comparable listings, different bAC yeah. Uh, it's usually pretty difficult to, to tease out that uh, discrepancy. I think.
0: And the, and the other thing is, I think that's that's a very good point. The other thing is that what most brokers have told me over the years is that, well, they might make a slightly bigger commission on one property than another property, and this is not just the two percent versus three percent. This may be what the actual selling price is, you know, that the commission's based on, et cetera, et cetera Is that the burden? The hand will always be more valuable than the than the two in the bush, so to speak, meaning if they can get a buyer, if they think that the property that's offering a little lower commission is really going to sell to their buyer more easily and quickly, uh, they'd be crazy not to show it than to have a wish and a prayer for a little bit more commission. Uh, That's what what I've been told, and it's also my observation, but it may be anecdotal. What's your thinking about that, Alex?
2: Again, only anecdotal, because I, I can't I can't argue with any hard data, but we have seen uh, in our early days when some of our clients offered just 2% BAC, for instance, or, or 1% or uh, that sort of thing, uh, the offers that tend to come in, and in Texas, the promulgated uh, contacts, contracts from the Texas Real Estate Commission, they have a blank that says, uh, listing broker agrees to pay selling broker the buyer's broker uh, blank percent commission. Uh, the offers tend to come in with three percent commission there anyway, and so the the thing that we ran into and saw early in our early days was that even if the seller says, "Hey, I'm offering two percent commission," the bulk of the offers that come in, if they do come in, uh, state that three percent commission is part of the deal anyhow.
0: Uh, well, that's interesting, and that's going to be a great segue into this whole fiduciary duty because it's not the buyer. Who's putting in the requirement for the three percent? It's the buyer's broker who's inserting him or herself really into the buyer's opportunity to buy, which uh, has, has some issues of its, of its own. But let me just welcome any new listeners who have uh, come in since we st- turned the hour. You're listening to uh, the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I'm your host Bob Lane, and we're speaking to Alex Dubay, the founder of Door Homes, uh, which you've uh, been talking about for quite a while. And if If you're listening on Friday, May 8th, please call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. If you want to join our conversation, if you're having any experiences or you're in the middle of a transaction, you're thinking of buying or selling, uh, you've got uh, one of the uh, sharpest minds with Alex Dubay on the phone with us, uh, here's your chance. So, Alex, we've been hinting and and, and touching on this fiduciary duty thing for for quite a while now in this show and, and others. Um, Let me give our our readers a little bit of background. Um, A a real estate agent um, or or broker has a duty to the parties, Um, and that's duty in uh, every—that's found in the state law of all 50 states. It's slightly different here and there, but basically it's consistent. And that's a duty, number one, of good faith to all parties, that they cannot lie or cheat or steal or deceive. And then there's something which is more than good faith, but fiduciary, which is to look out for the best interest of the party to whom they have that fiduciary duty to. And looking out for the best interest gets complicated, especially when you're in the middle, because if I'm a buyer and I say to the person I'm working with, you know, I'm willing to pay 100000 but let's only offer 80000 well, if that broker has a fiduciary duty to the seller to look out for the seller's best interest, he or she really are duty-bound to tell the seller, well, you know, I can get you 100000 even though they're offering only only eighty. So that really confounds and, and, can, and makes it very difficult for who, who can trust their broker and, 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 and what, what the story is as to who their duty is. Well, back in the 1980s when I first started, I uh, started in the late 70s, but during the early 80s, up until the early 80s, The law in most every state was pretty clear that the broker was getting their commission paid by the seller. So if the buyer paid the seller $100,000, the seller would take 6% of that $100,000 and fork it over to to the broker to split it with a cooperating agent or whatever the deal was. But the seller was giving out of their proceeds the 6%. Now, before our break, Alex was talking about how it's really coming out of the deal, and that if the seller weren't paying the 6%, maybe it would really only would have been 94000 so it's really coming out of the deal. Now, that's a very practical observation, but it's it's – complicated when you're looking at it legally and what the real, you know, how how transparent things are. So what happened was because the law was clear that the seller had the the undivided loyalty and duty of all the brokers who were getting paid by the seller, it meant that buyers really couldn't confide in their brokers because the brokers were, you know, divided loyalties. Um, And uh, the courts ultimately during the 80s came to realize the reality as, you know, post-World War Two and, and well into the uh, past the 60s and 70s as housing really expanded all over the country that buyers were really relying on in reality their their brokers and believed that the person who showed them around to different homes every Saturday and Sunday and you know developed a relationship with them after week after week was somebody who's on their side that the law really should protect that natural uh, affinity and understanding And so during the 80s, It evolved state by state over, over like, you know, almost 10 years to where they said, well, there's a buyer's broker and a seller's broker, and it's up to the broker to inform the buyer who, who are they, who are they working for? If it's a listing broker who's really also showing people they may have a dual agency that they'll disclose, if it's just somebody who's only working with the buyer and has no listings, it's different. If it's somebody who has a listing and just sits there with open houses and the buyers come to them, it's a different situation. But in all those cases, in virtually every state, there are now uh, forms and disclosures and discussions that have to be held so that the both parties know whom they rely on wherever the money comes from. Alex, do you want to add anything or, or uh, to that I guess I've summarized 10 years of, of law and custom in 50 <laughs> states in like about two minutes. So I've certainly left out a lot that could be uh, added to.
2: Yeah, I, I think you hit the, the high points. I, I'll add a few things. I, I think first and foremost, uh it, we, we at Door, I think, firmly believe that there is a tremendous value to working with someone who does these real estate transactions and who is licensed to do them as an agent day in, day out. And so, that's why I love this model, because our employee agents, again, are doing six, 60 deals a year instead of four or five, which is what the average is in the country. Um, I think I'll add, though, that when you when you talk about a fiduciary duty, um, one of the real problems in my mind, particularly on the buy side, and, and I, I know we were talking the other day about the 1980s and kind of the advent of the buyer's agent. I, I mentioned earlier that real estate agents in the country are commissioned salespeople, they, they get paid a commission on getting the house sold. And I think one of the fundamental problems there is that as a buyer's agent, you actually get paid more money if your client spends more money. And you can argue all day long, well, but I have a fiduciary duty in mind for my client. But there's just a fundamental misalignment of interests, in my view, between a buyer's agent who is commissioned, who gets paid more money if the buyer spends more money, uh, how can that be a, a pure representation of, of the buyer? Because the, the, there is a misalignment of interest there.
0: What you're getting at, i will just going to interrupt you for a second, is what something I say to all clients or buyers and sellers is that the broker, no matter how honest, no matter how wonderful, no matter how charming, the broker is always – their ultimate duty is to themselves. And making the transaction go at the best amount is what's in the best interest of the broker – even if it's not for the buyer or the seller and they can't help that that's just wired in go go ahead
2: I I think you're 100% right and in fact that brings me to that that Freakonomics study in the book that was published a while back great book uh, where I I think it was in San Francisco where uh, when agents sold their own home on average they kept it on the market I think it was two weeks longer and sold for $10,000 more than they did for their clients' homes and I I think that gets to the heart of the issue which is you're exactly right ultimately I think the the incentive alignment for commissioned salespersons, uh, commissions, real estate agents, uh, is to the deal. Their alignment is get to getting the deal done. And the additional $10,000, this is what Freakonomics pointed out, the additional $10,000 is a minimal amount of additional commission. Because if you're making three percent and you have a split with your broker, it's an extra three hundred dollars to get that extra ten thousand dollars. To the client, to the principal, the owner of the home, that's ten thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. But there's there's just not a great alignment of interests when you have a commission salesperson agent. And that's why I really love our employee model, because our, our employees are, are fantastic people. We take a lot of time with our hiring to make sure we hire great cultural fits who really uh, are motivated by what we're doing. But importantly, you know, they're not going to starve if they don't get this deal done, because they have a base salary. And so their incentive is really aligned towards delivering a fantastic experience to our clients.
0: I think that's a very uh, good observation. Um, if you 're if you're wholly reliant on on a conditional uh, sale then you 've got to do everything in your power to make that sale so one of the things that and this is 'm interesting to see how this also translates into how how your, uh, how your uh, sales agents uh, function i 'm always telling clients whether it 's the commercial side or the residential side. Uh, don't take the recommendations from the broker on uh, the home inspector. The home inspector, who's getting lots and lots of references from a broker, is going to be very, very averse, no matter how much integrity he or she has, it just can't be helped, that they're not going to come up and try to scare the buyer away from the property. They're going to try to, they'll point out things that they have to point out, uh, but they're going to... uh, Clearly, be doing it in a way which is going to be, uh, you know, less intimidating. The same thing with uh, with with other consultants, uh, title, and other uh, inspectors. Uh, anybody referred by the uh, by the broker is going to be trying to help make the transaction. Occur, and sometimes, as many of my clients have said, Bob, the best deals that we've done are the deals that we don't do. That you know that that you've alerted us to a problem, and and you know, frankly, I'm glad we avoided uh, a, a real horror show. So uh, that's the kind of you know counsel you want, whether it's uh, from a lawyer, from an inspector, from a title company, from a lender, uh, not necessarily coming through the broker. Do, do you agree with that, Alex? Yeah, totally. And you're welcome, I mean, I, I you're welcome to disagree. You're welcome to disagree. No,
2: no, I, I completely agree, and I think a really interesting thought experiment that I've done in the past is because uh, buyer's agents are compensated out of the the transaction price. Uh, What what if that compensation were such that the buyer's agent, uh, or, or listing agent for that matter, at the upfront said, uh, hey, Mr. Home Seller or Buyer, you write me a check for uh, $15,000 for this $500,000 home. Uh, you give me a $15,000 check, then we'll go get your home sold. Or you give me a $15,000 check, and then we'll do this, this purchase transaction. If the compensation were set up that way, uh, I think that becomes a much more real expense to people. And I think the commissions would have changed long, long, long ago. But because they are delayed and done at the closing table, uh, at the title company, at a point at which it's too late anyway, if people are surprised by how much money they're spending, uh, commissions have been able to be really fat for a long time.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I think that's right. I I think it's it's a real there's, there's a reason why the market, however, has evolved for all these years and decades to have commissioned uh, salespeople uh, because there is a concern, you know, that if they're paid up front or it's not conditional, that whether they'll work that hard uh, to make the deal. And here they, at least at the very least, they are driven to get your house sold or to help you buy a house or, or or whatever. So there is that tension on the other side of it. We lawyers can't help but see both sides. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, I think that's a great point. And, and people say that. Uh, I've certainly heard that. People say, oh, Doors agents aren't motivated to get the, the deal done. And, and I just think that's that's absurd. I, I think that uh, it, it's absurd to claim that the only reason why someone wants to provide a good service to someone else is because of this big hit of commission they're going to get to at the end of it. You know There are uh, thousands of client service, customer service-oriented jobs filled with people who just enjoy the work. They enjoy the fact that they're able to deliver great service to people. And, and so, ultimately, I think if you're hiring people who are just purely motivated to get the deal done, that's, that's not the cultural fit that we want at Door. You know, that That's not the same person that we want to hire. Uh, and, and I would also say you look at other countries where people transact homes all the time, um, UK, you know, uh, Northern Europe, uh, and they have a much lower commission structure, uh, tends to be around 2% or less. And there are a lot of models over there with employee agents, not fully commissioned agents.
0: I, I think that's an excellent um, point because uh, in, in point of fact, even for those uh, cynical listeners um, who don't believe in just you know, altruism or belief that people enjoy getting a good job done, they're going to lose their job. You're not going to keep them around if they're not making their sales. Uh, you know, if they're not making happy buyers and happy sellers and getting the kind of uh, online. Uh, I don't know whether you get reviewed on Yelp or, or some of those things, but if you're not getting good reviews, you're out of business.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and Zillow dot com is where we get most of our Zillow. reviews right yeah. now, and, and we've got uh, I think it's four point eight or nine stars last time I looked, with uh, right around one hundred, hundred and fifty reviews. So we we ask our, our clients all the time, please please review us on Zillow. That's really helpful. But you're exactly right. I mean, if, if we find if we hire the wrong person, uh, then that that was a mistake on our part. Uh, but we've had a very high hit rate thus far. And, and, and I, I just don't believe the, the line that the only reason people are motivated to get a home bought or sold is because of commission. I yeah, just don't think no, that's true. I agree with that.
0: Alex, we only have another couple of minutes, but we haven't touched on, because uh, th- you're not only in the brokerage, uh, buying and selling brokerage, but you're also in the title and mortgage business um, how, that's integrated. Uh, just touch on that for the, our last couple of minutes. How does that work?
2: Sure so I, I think the the biggest thing there is is what I realized you know about a year and a half ago is that traditionally a real estate agent uh, wins a client and then hands off that lead for free to a mortgage company or a title company and uh, we didn 't want to do that at door and I think part of the idea here is that uh, people don 't really want the title insurance policy people don 't really want a mortgage. What you want is the home you want to get the home sold or bought. And so what we 're building at door is a singular transaction you when you work with door you 're buying or selling a home, and we have all the pieces of the, all the big pieces of the puzzle that you need for that and so I think what that enables us to do is deliver a better experience, but then also deliver a much less costly experience because uh, we we don 't have these big co- client acquisition costs built into these three verticals, and what I mean there is Mortgage loan officers get paid 100 to 200 basis points on the loan when they originate a loan. And so, that is a lot of money that clients are paying traditionally, just because this separate mortgage company has a really high cost of acquisition. And so by bringing those all under one roof, we can unite them with technology, we can deliver a better experience and, and save our clients, uh, again, an average of $12,000. And we think that'll be able to go up as we get mortgage up to speed.
0: I think that's an excellent point. And I know that integrated businesses can offer a lot of uh, cost-saving and time-saving as well. Alex, this has been great talking to you. This has been a terrific hour. Um, I think our listeners have learned an awful lot. Um, I want to thank our very generous guest, Alex Dubay, founder and CEO of Door, an integrated real estate platform that's driving disruption in the brokerage, mortgage, and title markets. You can find uh, Alex and his company at and uh, if you're interested in seeing them come to your state, uh, let them know that, because I think this is a service that uh, is going to be growing over over time. So please, listeners, uh, thank you for being with us. Join us again next Friday at noon Eastern. I'm Bob Lane. You've been listening to the Real Estate Hour on Sirius XM 111. I also want to thank my producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Danielle Bruno, on the other side of the glass, making us sound great.